Hi, this is Rabbi Dovi Ben Shushan from Congregation Magen Abraham, thanking you in advance for listening to the following Shi'ur Torah. I have a great Hakarat Tov and appreciation. It's not so simple to come in the middle of the day to hear a class. I know the time might not be the most convenient. I know probably a little bit earlier on in the day, it probably be a little bit easier. Nonetheless, I'm trying to balance the class between teaching in the high school and obviously what we're trying to grab on the growth of the shul. So Be'ezat Hashem, as the time goes on, we'll see if we can bring that time to be a little bit earlier, make it easier for everybody. But until that point, I'd like to at least try to do with what we have for now. A guy I knew years ago, he told me that he came out of the city. He was dealing with some very difficult patches difficult situations in life. He needed medical help. He needed mental guidance. He was advised to go to a psychiatrist. He went to the top in New York City. He had a half an hour appointment and at the end of the half hour he told me that he spoke his heart out. He let out at everything. Put everything out on the table. At the end of the half hour the doctor wishes him good day. He walks out of the doctor's office. He comes out to the receptionist. And the receptionist turns to him and says, that will be $750. He looked at her and said, how much? He said, $750. That's just a consultation. But wait, I'm going to book you your next appointment. And it's $500 a half hour. And um, would you like to put that on credit card or you want to pay by check? And he looked at her and he said, $750 for a half an hour? And I was the one who was doing all the talking? And I'm paying $750? I don't understand. How, how is that? And he started to get all worked up. And he started to go into all different types of uh, fits. All the calming and all the therapy that he picked up in the half an hour with the doctor was lost in the five minutes with the receptionist. There was such a ruckus going on in the office that the doctor himself came out to find out what was the yelling and screaming. And then he confronts the doctor and he says, Doc, I'm sorry, but I was here by you for a half an hour. I did all the talking. All I heard from you for a half an hour was, mm-hmm, uh-huh, mm-hmm, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, really? How did that make you feel? Mm-hmm, uh-huh. And at the end of half an hour, you said to me, I'm beginning to understand your issue. I'm beginning to see what you're, you're dealing with. This is going to take some time. But together, we can find out the real you. Together we can bring out the best in you. I'll see you next week. For that, I'm paying $750? Really, come on, doctor. Come on. The doctor looks at the man and says, Do you understand that the mission over here is to find out the person that you can be? And this isn't an overnight process. And yes, it's an expensive process. Says the Torah, says Bore Olam, I don't need doctors. I don't need psychiatrists. 
Abraham Avinu, I'm going to give you a secret. I'm going to teach you the greatness of finding your mission. Because when a person grasps their own mission in life, they actually get to meet themselves for the first time. They actually get to realize that they're living with purpose. They're willing, they're living with fulfillment. They're living their life, a life that nobody else can live but them. They're finding out something very special about themselves. They're finding out their capabilities themselves, their own fingerprint. This is the beauty in the words. If Hashem wanted to tell Abraham Avinu simply to leave and just go, all he had to do was say, Lech. In Hebrew, that would have done it. Go. Leave. Leave your father's house. Leave the city you grew up in. Just go. Lech. Leave. But that's not the words. What did Hashem say? Lech. Lecha. And all the rabbis want to know, Borei Olam, you're telling Abraham Avinu to go, but you don't tell him where he's going to. How do you tell a person, go without giving them a destination? Borei Olam, tell me where I'm going. I have my GPS, I'll put in the final destination, the address, and it'll take me to where you want me to go. But yet Borei Olam tells him, El Haaretz Asher Ar Eka. I'm not telling you where the place you're going to. Do you know why? Because there's something very special here that I want you to find out. Lech, lecha. I want you to find yourself. I want you to understand who you are. The only way to find the lecha, the only way to find out how you are, is by deciding the path you're going to take. And therefore, I cannot tell you where to go to. Where you choose to go is who you will become. That's the brilliance. Lech, go out, choose your path, because that will form lecha, you. That's who you're going to be. That's who you are going to become. These are very powerful words. This is a concept where every single person has to stop for a minute in life and ask themselves, where am I going in life? Am I on the right path? Am I on the right track? There are people out there who are on the right track, they're just on the wrong train. Am I going in a direction that actually is bringing out my best? Am I living or maybe I'm just breathing? How am I going through life? Says Borei Olam to Abraham Avinu, I'm telling you the secret. This is the secret behind Lecha, you. You want to find out who you are? It all depends on the path that you chose to take. Your Lecha is Talui in the Lech. How and where are you going? Because the path you're going to take, that's who you're going to be eventually. And how true this is. In life, we look around at people that we know, and they had those great moments decisions. And there was that minute in life that they were posed with a decision of which path they're going to take. And the choice they made was a life-changing choice. 
And the path that they decided to take was the path that later on formed the person they became. And that was the brilliance that God is telling him. Of course I can't tell you where you're going to. That depends on you. You have to decide that path where you want to go to. But whatever destination you choose to go to, understand that will form the person that you're going to be. This is a very deep point. This is something to take to heart. And sometimes we get an opportunity to take that path and sometimes we get the opportunity to change it. I'd like to share with you a little bit of an episode that uh, took place right here in this shul a few years back. At that time we were starting a new shul. At that time, you know, we came up with all different types of ideas that would really, I guess, bring out the best in a lot of the young guys that we were fortunate to work with. There's a story that I have told over in the past, but I think to this particular theme, it, it, it does wonderful justice. You know, in the beginning, I used to speak in the shul Friday night, Shabbat day, Shabbat afternoon, and now before Mecha. See, they really wanted to make sure the rabbi works. And so that shuli sheet. Then I told the guys, you know what? How about by Sudan Shuli Sheet we do something novel, something unique, something new, something interactive, something that will really help our guys. I said, okay, Rabbi, well, what, what do you have? So what do you think about this? How about every week, every Shabbat, we nominate another guy in the shul to come up to speak? He has a whole week to prepare. It all has to be as a short, simple Dvar Torah. Actually, he can talk on anything he wants, anything he's comfortable with, as long as it's somewhat Torah-related, an idea, a concept, a mitzvah, whatever he's passionate about. Come up and speak. And you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised how much talent our guys have. And they're going to come up, and they're going to put their hearts in front of the tzibur, and you'll see that they will shine. They like the idea. And we decided that that week we started. We started with one guy, a guy by the name of Albert Hadri, who delivered an unbelievable dirasha. And the place was floored. They couldn't believe it. These young guys that were just out of high school a year or two or three, and they were up by the pulpit, and they were delivering their Dvar Torah and their messages, and they were stars. And they gained a tremendous amount of confidence. And this went on for quite some time. Matter of fact, it goes on till today. Till today, years, five years later. And the system is still going. Because when it works, it works. But there was one week, one week that I'll never forget. We went, we asked a guy. At that time, he was single. At that time, we knew that it was going to take a lot of pushing to really plead and beg with this particular guy to get up and speak. He was a great salesman. He had it in him to speak beautifully. But we knew it wasn't going to be easy to get him to give a Dvar Torah. That already is a whole different... Such a funny thing, you know? Such a funny thing, you know? Like one time I had a, <laughs> I had a father that came to me and he said to me, Rabbi, I, I don't know. Friday night by my meal, on Shabbat, no matter what I do, 
I can't get my kids to sing. I can't get my kids to sit for two minutes. Shabbat by me, the whole thing, the table is just a plop, plop, in and out. We grab, we eat, we run. He said, I don't get it. I looked at the guy and I said, I, I, I don't get it. You don't get it? I don't get it. I don't understand. I said, you are one of the top salesmen in the community. Supposedly they say that you sell, I don't know how many millions of dollars a year to every type of chain store in the country. You're the number one man. They say that you're so good that you are one of those guys that can sell ice to an Eskimo. And yet, to sell your own son on a Shabbat table, on a Samzmirot, on a beautiful, warm experience, that you can sell to your own son. It's amazing how we have so much talent and we use it for anything and everything we want. But when it comes to a little bit of Avodat Kodesh, all of a sudden people make themselves dumb. All of a sudden we make ourselves inadequate. So I turned to this young guy. This guy was a cool kid, originally a street boy, pulled himself together, he's making some money, successful boy, he's learning now at nights. And I turned to him, listen, we want you to speak this week. And I know you're going to do a great job. He looks at me and says, Rabbi, don't even go there. You know how many guys asked me a Rebbe to speak? They were after me for months. The answer is no, I can't do it. I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do, what am I going to say? I'm going to get up there and make a fool myself front of the whole shul, forget it, it's not happening. I said, listen to me. You know, like my mother once told me, try it once. If you like it, I'll give you seconds. If you don't like it, then leave it. But once, you owe it to yourself, you can do this. And guess what? You're going to make everybody amazed by how well you're going to do it. But give it a shot, what do you have to lose? It's one week, everybody's going around in a circle. After pushing and pushing, he decided he'll do it. And that, that week, he spent his time preparing this Dvar Torah. And then it came that moment of truth, Shabbat afternoon. The shul was packed. And he got up there, and I saw how nervous he was. And I saw how his fingers were shaking. And I saw he was already clearing his throat. And I was watching his lips. I saw that he started palpitating. I saw his breath go thin. I saw all the signs of a speaker sweating it out, getting up in front of a tzibor. And this poor guy, Hazik, was going through it all. And I started to say Tehillim for the guy. I, I felt so bad. I felt so bad that I pushed him to get up there. And, I, I felt so, and he, was, he, was, he was really sweating it through. But I said to myself, come on, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. He took a deep breath and he pulled out this little piece of paper from the inside pocket and he began to open up the folds. And he looks at the paper and he looks out at the tzibor and he looks back at the paper. And he takes a deep breath and he opens his mouth and nothing comes out. And I said, Oy vey. oh boy, this poor guy. Please hang in there. Try, give me one more shot. I was praying for the kid. He took another breath. But this time, the voice came out. 
And he began to read. And he started from the very beginning of his piece. And slowly but surely, line by line, in the beginning he was terribly nervous. I saw his lips were trembling. His fingers holding the paper were trembling. After that, once he started to get into it, little by little, all of a sudden he started to take command of his dirasha. He started to feel the words. He started to give off a certain warmth and a positive vibe to everyone that he believes in the point he's delivering and this is something he's passionate about. And he started to live the dirasha. And then as he started getting to the end, he started to put his heart into it, and his voice started to go up, and his voice started to come down. And suddenly, suddenly, a speaker was born. And at the end of that dirasha, he was so good that the entire room jumped on top of him when he finished, and they hugged him, and they gave him a hazaku baruch, and they put their arms around him. And literally, if it was a bar mitzvah, they would have picked him up on a chair. And you saw the look on this guy's face. This guy looked like he climbed Mount Everest. This guy looked like he climbed the biggest hurdle in his life. He had a smile from ear to ear, and this guy refused to stop smiling throughout the rest of the night, our beat. It was a guy that was at the top of his game. Ah, amazing. Ladies, I'm going to tell you the end of this story. The next morning, Sunday morning, I got a call from this particular guy. And he says to me, Rabbi, I got to talk to you. Listen to me. I'm very ashamed to tell you this. And uh, I'm going to be very candid. I'm going to tell it to you straight. I think I owe it to you. You know, before Shabbat on Friday, I got a call from my friends. You know, we're working all week. We don't get to see each other. But on weekends, we go out together to the city. It's the only time that we have to really enjoy. From Friday already, I had plans with my friends that there was a club in the city, and we already made reservations and VIP rooms and all different types of things. He says, Rabbi, I'm very embarrassed because I know that was definitely not a place that you think I'd ever go to, or any good Jewish boy for that matter. But we had plans and reservations to go. And I was going. I was going. And then came Shabbat. And then came Su'udat Shalushi. And he says, I'll tell you the truth. In my mind, I thought that I'd simply get up there, pull out the paper, get the rabbi off my back, just deliver the speech, leave me alone, and that's it. I don't want to hear from you guys for another 10 years. He says, but when I pulled out that paper, and I started to read the words of that Dvar Torah. He says, I don't know what happened to me. As I started to read, as I started to get into it, the words started getting into me. And I started to feel it. And I felt something that I've never felt before in my life. Rabbi, I have to admit it to you. There was a certain emptiness inside of me. But that Su'udat Shalishit, I felt fulfilled for the first time in my life. I never had a feeling like that before. And Rabbi, at the end when I finished, and I know I finished on a high note, and I know I enjoyed giving that dirasha, but the moment that the whole place jumped up, and they jumped on me, 
And they gave me high fives and they were hugging me in Hazaku Baruch. And I saw it was genuine. It was real. I felt like I, 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 felt like I won a lottery. I felt like a million dollars. I never felt that good in my life. Rabbi, you want to hear something? When I got home that night, right after Havdalah, my friends called me. Hey, yo bro, we're outside. We're waiting for you. Let's go. We got reservations. He says, I'm thinking to myself, after that, you're going to give a better speech than me one day. I thought to myself, after that, my friends called me up. Let's go. Come outside. We're going. We got reservations. We got to go. I said to myself, I can't go. After what I just tasted, after what I just felt, I can't go. I told my friends, you know what, guys? Go on without me. I'll catch up with you. They said, what? What happened to you? What's going on? Why are you pushing us off? I said, no, no, it's all, it's all good. I'm just, I'm not feeling well. I'm this. I'm not going to make excuses. I said, Rabbi, I don't know what you did to me. But I just couldn't go. After that, after what I tasted, when you taste the real thing, everything else is so artificial. When you're introduced to the real you, everything else is so meaningless, so empty. Says Bore Olam Abraham Avinu, Lech, go. But you know what you're looking for? Lecha. Through the path that you're going to take, you're going to find yourself. But understand that the process of finding your greatness, of what you're capable of, of who you really are, is the choice of the direction and the path you're going. Choose wisely. He says, Rabbi, that minute the switch went on. That minute, that Sudat Shalishit, I became a different person. That night when my friends called, I wasn't interested anymore. I couldn't go anymore. But Rabbi, I want to tell you that after my friends left, and they thought I was crazy, that's it. Fat bil all the way. No, it's a joke. But they thought I was crazy. Rabbi, you know what I did that night? Do you know what I did with my Saturday night? All my friends were out in the clubs. You know what I did? That night, I sat down on the couch with my parents. And I said to my mother, Ma, I want you to hear something. She says, I reached into my pocket, and I pulled out the paper, and I opened up the paper. And I read the Dvar Torah again to my mother and to my father. He says, but I read it. I read it like I read it in shul. I read it with the oomph. I read it with the whole gusto. You know, my mother started crying. My father's jaw was on the floor. He looked at me like, what, <laughs> what happened to you? I'm going to talk to that rabbi. No, it's a joke. What happened to you? He says, I, I never saw them so happy. They were proud. They were proud of me. That night, my mother was so taken, she called over her brothers. You know, there's always the uncles. She called over the brothers. Their brothers came over. They thought they were coming over for the regular Saturday night. Uh, away, away, you know. 
But they sat down and my mother said, listen to this. She points to me. I pulled out the paper from the inside pocket. Opened it up. And I read the Dvar Torah again. So my, bro- my uncles, they were looking at me like, wow. And the way I gave it over again, they were, they were floored. And every time I gave it over, I felt like a million dollars again and again and again. And Rabbi, you know what? It only gets better. I've never had anything in life that the more you have of it, the better it tasted. Everything else, it's the opposite. The more you have, the less and less the thrill dies out. But this was incredible. He says, I couldn't stop. I was like, I was like drunk on Torah. This is me, Rabbi. The guy that used to go out to the city every Saturday night. He says, I couldn't stop. So you know what I did, Rabbi? I did the unthinkable. He says, there was one Rabbi in high school, my 11th grade Rebbe. That one time I made so much trouble in his class years earlier that he got so angry at me and he said to me, there's nothing ever going to come out of you. I went to his house that night. I knocked on his door. It was 11 o'clock at night. It was late. Hazik, the rabbi, came out in a rope. I said, Rabbi, you remember me? He said, sure, I remember you. How are you doing? I haven't seen you in I don't know how many years. What's going on? Rabbi, can I just speak to you for a few minutes? The rabbi took me into a study. I sat down with him. I said, Rabbi, I'll tell you why I came here tonight. And before I could even say a word, I reached into my pocket again. And I pulled out that paper. And I opened up again on the crisis. And I began to read that Dvar Torah for the fifth time that night. And I read it. And oh, did I deliver it in front of my Rebbe. And I gave it all I had. He says, when I finished, and I got to the end, and I said the beautiful ending of this Dvar Torah. I looked up at the Rebbe. And my Rebbe started crying. And with tears, he got up. He grabbed my hands. And we started to dance together inside his study. He says, Rabbi, I promise you, at that minute, there was nothing in the world that you can give me that I would have traded for that moment and that Simhat Torah dance. That's a Jew that the, sli- the switch was flipped and the path was chosen. And now says Borei Olam, Lech Lecha. You want to find out who you are. You want to find out what you're capable of. You want to find out your inner unbelievable potential and what you really could be doing in life and living in life. It all depends on you. Lech, your choice. You want to find yourself? You have to choose the path you're going to take. And that's the land. You got to find your destination. You got to find your path. And that's going to mold to you the person who you'll become. Look at this guy. If he would have continued going in the path that he was going, he would have became one person. Baruch Hashem, for that one Sudashali sheet, the switch went on and he chose a new path. And today I can tell you, 
He became somebody else completely. Today his lecha changed. Do you know why? Because his lech changed. This was the secret that Borei Olam was telling Abraham Avinu. El ha'aretz asher eka. It's up to you where your destination will be. You want to find yourself? You have to choose the path you're going to take. That's going to make you who you are. This parasha is filled with gems. There's another gem that has to do with the lecha and the potential of a Jew and what we're capable of. And I'd like to close with this. In the Pasuk it says that Borei Olam comes to Abraham Avinu and tells him, He tells Abraham Avinu, come outside from the tent. Vayomer, and you know what Hashem said to Abraham? Habetna hashamayma, look up in the heavens. Uspor akochavim, and start counting the stars. Imtuchalisporotam, if it's possible to even count them. Isn't that funny? Hashem tells Abraham Avinu, look up at the sky, start counting the stars, if it's possible to count them, meaning. As you're looking up in the sky and looking at the stars, you see that it's impossible to count the stars. So to your children will be so many that you won't be able to count them. Yes, the great Rabbi Ramosha Shapiro, Zechet Tzadik Lebracha, if Hashem wanted to tell Abraham that your children are going to be like the stars because the stars are impossible to count, all God had to say was, look up at the sky, and see the stars that are impossible to count. That's all he had to say. Why did he tell Abraham Avinu, Uspor hakochavim, go count the stars, and then you'll see it's impossible to count. You know Rabbi Shapiro answers an amazing answer? He says, Abraham Avinu was such a believer in God, that when God told him, Uspor hakochavim, he started counting. That's a Jew. There's no such thing as it being impossible to do. Abraham Avinu taught us. God said, count, I'm going to count. It seems impossible, doesn't it? It seems like it's something that's an impossibility period. But the essence of a Jew and what we have in our DNA from Abraham Avinu is that which is at least seemingly impossible, we don't stop. We're the people that can do even the impossible. And that's why, you know what Hashem said to him? Hashem said to him, Abraham, look up, count the stars, because I know you. You're the one that does the impossible, Abraham. You'll even start counting stars for me. And that's exactly what Abraham did. He started doing the impossible. Answers Hashem, Ko That's the way your kids will be as well. Your children will be a people like you that will be able to do the impossible. And sometimes you think about it. Klal Israel, even the non-religious Jews, take a look at the Nobel Prize winners of the last century. Take a look at all that was given to the world in the way of inventions and benefits and genius and science. 
I'm not even talking about the religious side of Klal Yisrael and the genius of Chidushet Torah. These were the people that never said it's impossible. Because the mandate of a Jew is that if Hashem says so, we'll find out how to make it possible. That's the greatness of Klal Yisrael. A people that never found anything impossible to do. The Blushov Rebbe, Zechet Tzadik Levracha, he was in the Auschwitz concentration camp. He was a concentration camp survivor. The Blushov Rebbe, he tells over that uh, there was a time where the Nazis, Yamach Shemam, for their horrific entertainment purposes, they used to do these horrible things. Just to get entertainment, just to get laughs, just to get enjoyment, how they would torment the Jews in the concentration camps. One day they came up with a new, a new entertainment gag, something that was going to entertain all the SS officers in Auschwitz. They dug a pit. They dug a, a pit about 20 feet deep, and it was about 10 feet wide. And they lined up all the people in Auschwitz, all the Jews, in a line, and they told them, you have to run and jump from one side of the pit and land on the other side. Lest you fall into the pit, they shot you on the spot and that's where you were buried. And they did this just for entertainment. To them it was just one big joke. Could you imagine men, women, young children, older people standing on that line looking at a 10-foot jump? I mean, who could, not even Olympics, who could jump a 10-foot jump? And these were people who haven't been fed. These were people who didn't have an, an ounce of strength inside their bodies. And they were standing online. And sure enough, the games began. Oy, oy, oy. Even the fit, even the young, had a hard time clearing that jump. And people were jumping and one after the next, after the next, they were falling into the pit. And as they fell into the pit, they heard the gunshots. And as they fell into the pit, they heard the screaming and the crying and the soldiers laughing. To them, it was the funniest thing. It was the funniest thing. On that line stood the great Sadiq, the Blush of Rebbe, Zechet Sadiq Lebracha. The Blush of Rebbe was standing there with his gabai, and he was standing there with another Jew. And this other Jew, he was older than the Rebbe. He turns to the Rebbe and he says, Rebbe, say Vidui with me. I know this is it. There's no way that I could jump like that. The Rebbe turned to the man and said, I will not say vidui with you. You're going to live. He says, Rebbe, what are you talking about? Look at that. There are guys that are half my age that aren't clearing the jump. They're falling into the pit. They're being shot on their way down. I have no shot. The Rebbe looks at him and says, you don't have a shot. Who's the one that decides life and death? Bore Olam! But you know how Hashem decides life and death? Upon your decision. If you want to live, He'll give you life. If you refuse death, then Hashem will only give you life. He looked at the Rebbe, but it's impossible. The Rebbe said there's nothing impossible for a Jew. Rabbi Abraham Yitzchak Yaakov. We come from a DNA of unbelievable people. 
We come from an Abraham Avinu that started counting the stars. Because nothing is impossible for a Jew. And sure enough, it came their turn. The Rebbe looked at the man and he looked at the Gabai. And he said to the man, close your eyes. Hold on to my begot. Hold on to my clothing. We're going to jump together. And the three of them took three steps back. And then they took three steps forward and they jumped. And the man says, he closed his eyes, holding on to the Rebbe's begot. He says he doesn't understand how, he doesn't understand why. But the next second, suddenly, he felt as if the ground hit right underneath his shoe. And he stumbled on the ledge and jumped onto the ground and ran off with the Rebbe and the Gabai. And he says it was an open miracle. When people asked the Rebbe if the story was true, the Rebbe said yes. Then the people asked the Rebbe, how is it possible? What, what happened, Rebbe? And the Rebbe said, it all depends what you're connected to. If your path in life was a path that you're connecting to earth and earthly things, that you're all about Gashmiut, then you can't jump too high. Because you're always coming right back down to your earthly status, to your earthly things. But if you're a person that your path in life is connected to heaven, you'll be surprised how high you can jump. What an answer. What an amazing answer. The path we chose is what's going to make us who we are going to be. But remember, says Abraham Avinu, Hashem told us, He started to count the stars in impossible feet. So too your children will have this ability. They'll be able to be the peoples in this world that can do even the impossible. But it all depends on your belief. It depends on your path. It depends on the lecha, on you. How much do you want it? The great Rabbi Zalman Zechit Sadiq Libracha. He was one of the great Rosh HaYeshivot in Europe. Years later, he made his way to Israel. There in Israel, he says over that he had an incredible story. He had a man that came to him with a sefer, a book on Torah that he wrote. And he turned to the rabbi and he said to him, you see this sefer? This sefer was the last chidushim in Torah that I've ever wrote. The rabbi says, really? Why the last? Why do you say these were the last? Why don't you do more? He says to the rabbi, you might not have realized, but I'm blind. I can't see. Rabbi Zalman said, I'm sorry, I didn't realize. So it's amazing that even this book you did. He says, no, rabbi, you don't understand. Right after I wrote this sefer, I used to learn day and night, and I worked so hard on my learning, and I worked and toiled and toiled on the depth of learning Torah, day and night. And finally, I finished writing this sefer, this book. After that, I said to myself, you know what? I worked so hard on this sefer. I toiled day and night on Torah. I'm going to take a break a little bit. I'm going to continue learning Torah. But not with the same depth. Not with the same efforts. Not with the same sweat. I'm going to take it easy a little bit. I'm just going to learn Torah light. 
So I started to learn Torah, but just very light after that. I didn't want to overexert myself after the years and years I put to writing that sefer. He says, Rabbi, I woke up the next morning, I opened my eyes, and I couldn't see. I couldn't see. I went to the doctor, I said, Doctor, what's that? what happened to me? He says, I have, to, I have to examine this, this is, this is not normal. Your whole life you were able to see. One morning the guy wakes up and it was black, he couldn't see. They sent him to a top specialist, an optometrist, who scanned his eyes. And the doctor tells him, I know why you can't see now. But to me, says the doctor, it's a miracle how you were able to see the last 20 years. He says the whole mechanism in your eye was shot for at least 20 years. How are you able to see till now? That's what I don't get. And then the guy realized, as long as he was working his heart out, toiling and sweating in Torah, he refused to stop seeing. And therefore he refused to allow his sight to go. The day he finished that sefer, and he said to himself, okay, I'm going to take it easy now. I'm chasing path. The day he said to himself, I don't need to exert my all every day anymore. That was the day that his sight left him. Said Rabbi Sazaman, take a look. A person's sight depends on if you want to see. A person's life depends on if you want to live. How many times we've gone, La'aleinu, we shouldn't know. We've gone to old age homes. We've visited sometimes even family members. And sometimes you hear people saying words that, that, that send a, uh, sends a shaking up your spine. You hear people saying, listen, you know, I live my life. I had my children. I saw my grandchildren grow up. I'm just waiting for God to take me. And you look at the person. What are you saying? That's an amazing concept. Said Rabbi Zalman, you have to know who you are. You're the people of Abraham Avinu. You're the people that were given a certain power through the fact that our lineage comes from such great people that we can beat all the odds. That we're the people that impossible is not in our dictionary. That if we have a will, we will do it. And God will help us do it. You want to see? You'll see, even though your eyes gave way 20 years ago. You want to live? You'll live! If you have what you want to live for. This is a tremendous concept. This was the concept of Abraham Avinu. This was the secret that we have as Klal Israel. I was very lucky in Israel to have a chavruta with a giant of a rabbi. His name was Dayan Fisher, Zechet Sadiq Lebracha. When I was there as a Bachor, I learned with him together for many years, many good years. I remember one time, a man walked into his office while I was sitting there, and he said to him, Rabbi, according to statistics, medical statistics, the doctor says I probably won't live because I have a certain type of, and he told him the sickness that he had. Diane Fisher leans over and looks at the man and says, you're Jewish, aren't you? He says, yeah. He says, the statistics don't apply to you. I heard this with my own ears. The man looked up, he said, what? What do you mean? 
I just walked out of the doctor's office. He told me, according to the statistics, people with this and this sickness does not live for longer than whatever the months that he gave him to live. The rabbi says, I understand. But the statistics don't apply to you. The man walked out. He was happy. He was jumping up and down. He heard from the rabbi that he trusted that the statistics don't apply to him. And I know personally, because I know the grandson of this guy, that the guy is still living till today. This story went back 15 years ago. I turned to Diane Fisher and I said, Rebbe, how can you tell the guy that? The doctor just told him he has a few months to live. How could you look at a guy in the eye and tell him that the medical statistics doesn't apply to you? He looks at me and he says, because it doesn't. He's Jewish. He's a Yehudi. He's a Jew. And Klal Yisrael are not held to the impossible. If we have a will, there is always a way in Shammai. The question is, how much do you want it? The question is, what path are you going to take to get it? That's El Ha'aretz Asher Ar'eka. That's the land that I'm going to show. The land is the land you choose. That's your land. That's your defining moment. That's the person you're going to become. No restrictions. We're Klal Yisrael, and impossible is not in our dictionary. When you live with this faith, when you live with this ironclad drive, then yeah, you can even start counting stars. And Hashem says, Ko these are the people that defy the impossibilities generation after generation. This is Klal Yisrael. Thank you for listening, ladies. Bezat Hashem next week. We'll be back here at 1 o'clock.